Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read together from verse 9. Romans chapter 12, reading together from verse 9. Let's hear the word of God. Paul writes, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate, associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals in his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God. Let's thank him for it and pray for our brother Jonathan as in a moment after we've sung again, he comes to open his word. He's not had a great weekend health-wise. He's uh, just about standing and it's heroic that he's turned out this morning. Uh, but let's pray the Lord's blessing on him and on us as we hear his word. Father, we thank you so much for the joy of regularly, week by week, building our gatherings around what you say to us rather than what we say to you. And again, we commit these efforts to your care. We pray that this would be a place where we encounter the living God by the power of your spirit through your word. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this verse that has been selected as a focal verse for the year for us at HBC. And will you bless us as we receive it this morning, as we think about its implications for a year in our lives. And especially we thank you for our brother Jonathan, the gifts that you've given him. And thank you for his heart. And would you bless him this morning as he comes to open up your word. Give him the strength that he needs. And may he know that particular strength that comes in our human frailty. Undertake for him and grant us together the experience of hearing the voice of the living God. We're reminded already this morning that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. We think of those whose way is difficult. We think of many in our church family who are having a tough time. And we commit them this morning to your loving care. We think of the Dallas family. We thank you for the slight improvement in Austin. And we pray that you would keep your hand upon him and restore him, we pray, to full health and strength again. So be with us, our God, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Good morning. It's lovely to see you. Uh, welcome this first Sunday of the new year. 
Uh, thanks to Craig, to our worship team for leading us so wonderfully in our service. Uh, I've been battling the flu the last couple of days, so you'll be happy to know I'm not going to lead you at the table and stand over those elements in case I splutter. Craig will do that. I'm also not going to stand at the door after the service. Uh, I will swiftly make my way out the side so I don't uh, contaminate anybody else. We're going to turn this morning, friends, to our verse of the year, which very wonderfully and helpfully is behind us and is here for the year ahead. So there really is no... Was that? I don't think that's me. Um, that very helpfully is, is here for us on the wall. So a couple of questions as we come to this and we turn then to Romans 12, 12. Is that, firstly, ask the question, why do we have a verse for the year? What is the point in this? Why do we have this focal point um, in what we do? Well, essentially what we want is we want something that is going to encourage us and bring us hope throughout the year ahead. Something that is short and snappy, easy for us to remember, and a verse that will be beneficial for us whenever it comes to mind. And I think last year's was, I think 1 Thessalonians 5.11 was wonderful for us. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. That really, that definitely isn't me, is it? No, I don't even have my phone on me. Good, okay. Um, and, and that's why we have a verse of the year. The idea is that throughout whenever it comes to mind throughout this year, it is beneficial for us, it's helpful for us, it's easy for us to remember. And then it begs the question, why this year Romans 12, 12? That's the question we then come to. That's what we're going to unpack this morning. And why do we believe this is going to be helpful for us in the year ahead? Well, the, the, the simple answer to that is we live in difficult days. We live in a world full of tribulation. We live in a world that, as we look out, looks pretty disastrous. Wars rage on round about us. The decay of morality in our society is frightening. And there is much in our world that discourages us. And on top of all the tribulation, we could use words like affliction or suffering that we see out in the world. There is also all the tribulation and the struggle and the strife and the difficulty that we know in our own life. Relationship breakdowns, cancers, sickness, death, chaos. There is so much in life that can dishearten us, that can pull us away from the Lord. And I'm not here as some sort of prophet of doom on the first Sunday of 2024 saying that tribulation is what is to come. But what I'm saying is that tribulation or suffering or, 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 or affliction is all part of our common experience. Whether you know and love the Lord or not, suffering and struggling is part of life. So how might we, as God's people in Hamilton in 2024, how might we live with the chaos of life? And I think Romans 12.12 is a fabulous threefold description of the Christian life. It's wonderfully summed up for us. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You see, Paul's instruction to this joyful, patient, faithful, faithfulness amid the daily struggles of life might seem like a bitter pill for us to swallow. Because the last thing we think of in times that are hard often is things like rejoicing and hope and patience and prayer. They're often not the things that we come to when times are hard. But that is Paul's instruction to us. This might be hard for us to understand, but we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to come and we're going to unpack it together. 
And I want to explore why for us as God's people, we can rejoice in hope. We can be patient, whatever life throws at us. And we can be faithful and constant in prayer, no matter what might come our way. And we do that firstly by taking the wide eye picture here in Romans 12. And we start then in verse 9. And those simple words, let love be genuine. And we have this description that follows verse 9 of what it means to let your love be genuine. Thanks, Paul. It goes on to tell us that, that, that genuine love abhors what is evil, holds fast to what is good. We then have this intensifying call to love with these strong words of affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. It goes on to say, love to give honor rather than receive honor. And verse 11 talks to us about zeal and fervency for love and how to do so in service of the Lord. So when we hit verse 12, we have this theme of love running through our minds. That is the drum that is being beaten here as we come to verse 12. And you see that pulls all the way back into verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that, you, uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, we're beginning to see that, that, that genuine love, but also that in Romans 12, rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer, is the will of God. This is what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. So as we open this, there's a wonderful quote from, I don't think this is going to work, is it? There's a wonderful quote from John Piper as we come to this, that he wrote as he opened this passage. Joy is in Jesus, this hope is for Jesus, this patience is from Jesus, this tribulation is with Jesus, and this constant prayer is through Jesus to God the Father. So this is our starting point. Our starting point this morning is this verse, Romans 12, 12, is given to us in the context of, of love. Let our love be genuine. So I want to start for us then in tribulation. That's what I want to open because tribulation is unique in this list because it is not a virtue. The other things in here are a virtue. Love and joy and hope and patience, they're all virtues. Tribulation is not. Tribulation is not something we do, but it is something that is done to us. We start here because tribulation is the environment in which all these virtues happen. It is the rejoicing in hope and the patience that is bred by the tribulation. The sufferings, the afflictions, the sickness, the death, the chaos, the relationship breakdown, the things that mark our lives and bring us such sorrow and such sadness and such difficulty. But the point here being that tribulation is normal and to be expected. And tribulation is the setting for love and the setting for our hope and our patience and our prayer. Because affliction is where we live. And if it's not your life experience right now, that's wonderful. Be incredibly thankful for it. But if you do live there now, you know how painful it is, how difficult it is. But tribulation is normal and to be expected in this world. 
We're not somehow immune from that. But I think learning the struggles and strifes and challenges are normal, help us when they come. And if there's one thing I've learned in the time that I've been in ministry, it's that tribulations and trials so often are unexpected. There will be many of us will face things in this coming year that right now in the first Sunday of 2024 will not see coming. There will likely be unthought hardships for folks this year. We can't see it, we don't know about it, but it may come. And again, this isn't meant as some kind of doom and gloom word for the first Sunday of the year, but it is to acknowledge that tribulation and difficulties and struggles and sufferings are part of life. And I think as we look at the Lord Jesus, of course, the best man, the greatest man who's ever lived, we have this reality that none of us have any right to experience any less affliction than he did. But if we experience less, it is purely by his mercy. Jesus was afflicted from the beginning, from his birth, the scandal of being conceived through the Holy Spirit before marriage, born to a feeding trough and everything that followed for him eventually to be crucified. That's the way Christianity began. It began in the Lord Jesus in affliction. But Peter so wonderfully reminds us in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange, it's normal. It comes with being part of a fallen, sin-sick, broken world. It doesn't make it any easier for us. So with all of that, we recognize that we live in a broken world that throws at us things we really rather would not face. And our call is to be patient in the midst of it. We find, I think, the role of the church and in the church community in verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Of course, enduring the sufferings and the tribulations of life is deeply personal, but those burdens are not meant to be carried alone. We take them first to our saviour, but also it is one of the, the great benefits of church life and Community and fellowship as we're told further up in verse 5. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, therefore we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We have a role to play as our brothers and sisters, both here and throughout the world, might know tribulation. And I think what's important as we come to this is to say that we need to fight for our joy because I think joy is under attack by our tribulation, by the things that we face. You see, the call of Romans 12, 12 is not to rejoice without tribulation. The call here isn't to say, Lord, lift the tribulation and the struggle and the strife and the affliction and the difficulties I face in life from me, but it is to say, I am going to rejoice in the midst of it. And I think Romans 5 sets out for us in more detail exactly what Romans 12, 12 does. So we're going to do that. We'll come here to Romans chapter 5. And it simply reads the first six verses. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only in that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So this is why I opened with affliction, with tribulation here. Because Christian joy and hope and patient endurance is not caused by a freedom from tribulation. It is not to say you will find joy in your life the day that you face nothing difficult. Because if you are waiting for that day, friends, you will wait a long time and you will likely never find that day. Joy, hope, and patience are not bred by an easy life. Yet we must fight for them in spite of everything that we might face. Verse 3, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. You see, Paul doesn't just tolerate the challenges he faces. But actually what he writes is he, 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 he makes it serve the Christian. He takes the tribulation and he takes the circumstances that are difficult and hard and the sufferings and everything that he faced and to those he wrote to and he made it serve the believers. He didn't let his circumstances become his master. And I think what Romans 5 here is telling us is saying, I will not let the tribulations or the afflictions or the sufferings own my life. I will not let the circumstances dictate who I am. I will not let what I face dictate the joy that I know in life. I will not let it happen. Why? Because what Satan means for destruction, God means for good. In the very act of trying to destroy our joy... what we begin to find is we need to root deeper and deeper into God. So whatever 2024 has in store for us, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging it might be, we want this to be a year not marked by the hardship, but marked by the joy and the hope, endurance and prayer. So we pull back then and let's look at joy. We've looked at tribulation, the context and the place for this and then we come to joy because we're told rejoice in hope i want you to imagine for a moment that joy is a bulb a bulb of a beautiful flower and hope is the soil in which that joy is rooted hope is the ground in which joy grows we'll notice the similar phrase here in in verse 2 Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of, in the hope of, the glory of God. So that's simply what we're saying to start here. Our joy is rooted in our hope. Our joy isn't rooted in our circumstances. Our joy isn't rooted in how good things are for us, but our joy is rooted in our hope. What does that mean? It means that things could be really rubbish for you right now. It means that the circumstances and the things that you face could be really, really, really difficult, yet it will not rob you of your joy. 
Because your joy is in your hope and not your circumstances. Because as God's people, we are setting our hearts on the things that are to come. Of what it will be to be in the presence of Christ after death. This is why we rejoice in tribulation and not just in health and prosperity and peace and security. Though I hope that is your year. I hope your year is a wonderful year. I hope it is a year of health and prosperity and peace and security. I'd love nothing more for that to be the year for you. But what tribulation does is it makes the roots of our joy grow deeper and deeper and deeper into our hope. Do you know, I think it is an utterly alien idea to this world that joy can be found in hope. Surely joy is found in the tangible things in the here and now that we can control. And the things that I can do and the things that I can take care of. It is an alien idea to this world that our joy can be rooted in anything other than ourselves. So it leads us to ask the question, what is the basis of our hope? Well, we simply have it before us right there. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. That is the soil of our hope in which our joy drives down into so that our joy might flourish. God declares us righteous. He has justified us based on Christ's blood and righteousness. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What is the hope that we might rejoice in? The hope is this, that you have been justified not by who you are and what you have done, but because the Lord Jesus shed his blood and Christ died for the ungodly. We don't need to tell ourselves much that we're not good enough for God. But we recognize that there is only one basis in which we are acceptable before God. And that only way is through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And that is the point of verse 1 and verse 6. Reminds us that our hope is this. That we have been justified by faith. That we have a saviour who shed his blood for us. Who loves us and cares for us. So in the midst of the tribulation. What we're saying is as we build this picture together. We can have joy in the hope of the blood of the Lord Jesus, which will produce in us patience for the tribulation. Can you put up the next slide for me, Paul? Thank you. Chapter 2, verse 2 here, just opens up for us and really finishes this phrase. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God is how verse 2 would just complete it for us. You see, it is the glory of God that ultimately will wipe away every tear, that will right every wrong, that will make us one day say all of the endurance 
and all of the waiting and all of the patience was worth it. We listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4.17, this slight momentary affliction, that is, all the tribulation, all the suffering, everything that is faced in life, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is a seeing how for Paul, hope was sustaining his joy in tribulation. The slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's saying that the suffering that I face, the tribulation that I face is not meaningless. It's not cruel. It's not pointless. But it is working for me an experience of the glory of God that will outweigh all of the suffering that I have ever faced in this life. That's our hope. That's our hope. Our hope is that one day what is to come is infinitely greater than we could ever imagine. It is infinitely greater than anything we would ever see on this earth. That's our hope. That by the blood and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, we have been justified through faith and that one day we will stand before that Savior face to face. So rejoice in hope. Rejoice in the hope of what the Lord Jesus has done at Calvary. Rejoice in the hope that one day we will stand in the presence of the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And would our joy flow from that? This is what it means to rejoice in hope. And we come, so, so the first and second statement of verse 12 knit together really well for us. I hope you see that that we would have joy and a solid hope that would produce endurance for us in, in tribulation. And then we come to this final phrase of be constant in prayer that I think looks almost slightly detached for us. But we're commanded to be constant in prayer, to pray continually. And in that context, we're being told that during any time of difficulty, any time of suffering, pray. Why? Because, well, firstly, we're commanded to. We pray because the Bible tells us to pray and we should do what God says. This isn't some sort of instruction that if you can do the first two, this is for the extra holy or the extra mature Christian. Be constant in prayer. This isn't some sort of add-on for the best of us. But this is a command to each and every one of us. Be constant in prayer. This isn't the only place in the Bible where we are told to be constant in prayer. And if prayer doesn't come easily to you, welcome to the club. It doesn't come easy to many of us. Prayer isn't natural in a fallen and sinful world. We must fight for it. We must make time and we must be constant. It is not easy. If we let our own desires and if we let our own sinfulness and our weaknesses rule, then we will not be constant in prayer. But we are to be devoted. We are to be constant. We are to be faithful in prayer and we must fight for it why should we be constant in prayer friends because the needs are massive because the needs in our own lives the needs in our families our church our world our culture are huge and they are utterly desperate do you know when we won't ever this side of eternity understand how prayer works and 
understand that our God would listen to us and care enough to hear from us. But in Romans 10.1, Paul prays desperately, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We recognize that salvation hangs in the balance when we pray. We can't wrap our heads around that. We don't know what that means, but we pray, don't we? We pray for our friends and families that don't know the Lord Jesus that they might. We often don't understand our desperate need for prayer. There are many answered prayers we will not ever see or understand or know. But we must pray because the needs are huge. And thirdly, when we act, God acts when we pray. And he does more in seconds than we can do in years. Do you know one of the greatest joys of ministry is hearing of answered prayers. The number of times I get to sit in elders meetings, staff meetings, deacons meetings, sit with you, whatever it might be, and just hear of the Lord answering prayer. It is incredible. It is incredible. I find it incredible I'm standing up here this morning because I've hardly been at my bed in the last two days. Um, And yet I would plead with the Lord that I might have enough to be able to stand here and speak this morning. I see it as we come and as I prepare a sermon as there are pastoral crises, there are evangelistic opportunities, whatever it might be. But we only see breakthrough when we pray. And might 2024 be the year that we slow down and we pray fast? Because it's so easy not to. It's so easy to think, I've got this, I can do this. But might this be the year that we force ourselves to be biblical and to take time and get on our knees and pray more? Because we'll never pray enough. Why pray? There are lots of reasons, but very simply, God commands us to. The needs are a massive, eternal things that are at stake, and God acts when we pray. And he can do more in seconds than we can do in years. So let's bring then all of this together. Tribulation, trouble, sickness, conflict, death. These are all normal conditions of life in this fallen world. But the Lord Jesus has come and has broken into our tribulation and he has taken it upon himself. He carried our sins, he bore our shame, he took God's wrath and he became our righteousness. And he has conquered death and hell and Satan and opened the door of heaven for all who might trust in him. If that, friends, is not a reason for joy, then absolutely nothing is. He made his glory the centre of it all so that we would have the highest pleasures possible one day. And in this hope, we rejoice that in spite of our tribulation now, that we might see our joy driven down deep into our hope. Do you know, you might be thinking this is all very future-focused. It's very future-focused to think about rejoicing and hoping. Am I just here waiting for something, waiting for a day when I will see God? And I'm not particularly sure that in my tribulation and in my challenge that thinking of what is to come is maybe not terribly helpful. But I just want to say that I I think a future-focused joy doesn't limit its present usefulness. I think it liberates it. I think if your future is so so glorious and sure, which it is in Christ, you do not have to live for anything other than Christ. 
You do not have to grasp at the pleasures of this world, but you are free to live for him and for others as the rest. We don't have time to look at it just now, but, but this genuine love that is unpacked from verse 9 to 21 is full of what it means to live for Jesus for one another. But let our love be genuine because genuine love will rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and might be constant in prayer. So if we were to say, as Naomi did about New Year's resolutions, might we find in 2024 our joy and the hope of the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus? Might we truly know what it is to have joyful hope that leads us to patience, whatever we might face in this year ahead? And might it drive us to union and communion with our God in prayer? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, that you would send your son to die for us so that we might come to know you. So that in the midst of everything that life might throw at us, we might have joy because of the glorious hope of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for all that you have done for us. Help us, Lord, to find our joy, not in our circumstances, not in the things of this world, that we would enjoy the good things in life, but our deep-seated joy would come only from the Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us to find our joy in you. Help us to endure the hardships whatever they might look like for us and drive us to our knees in prayer. Would you make us a people marked individually and corporately by prayer? We thank you that you'd love to hear from us. We thank you that you are so good and so gracious towards us that you might offer us the way of salvation by the blood of your son. In your name we pray. Amen.